Joining us live from the Eurovision rap party, it's Adam Myros. Uh, well, geez, I thought you were throwing the other direction given that introduction. Sure. No, no, a no. little inside baseball for the listeners. Before we were talking about Eurovision, I was like, Myros, do you watch Eurovision? He's like, I don't even know what that is. So, uh, yeah, I'm lobbing it to you. So, uh, it's like what- some sort of star search thing. That for some Star- reason, Jesus Christ, Adam! Are you fucking sixty years old? That's basically that's basically homophobia right there. Uh, that's like right. Ed McMahon involved in some way. <laughs> Stop diminishing the gay community. Although I do have uh, I do have a gay uncle who was on Star Search in the eighties. So uh, you know they 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 were okay for a while, but they they didn't give him the win. So oh my god, homophobic. that's disgraceful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not great. Not great. Uh, so yeah, Myros, no, no Eurovision at all for you? No, I'm, I'm not really, uh, big into the, the song contest scene, Steve. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. Uh, yeah, Jack obviously watched it because he's a refined fucking gentleman. Um, Finland robbed, absolutely oh, robbed. absolutely disgraceful. Finland robbed Serbia horribly abused. I can't, I can't mm-hmm. imagine that. They sent their little, they sent their gayest little, little Nine Inch Nails boy. And uh, mm-hmm. did did terribly. Australia surprisingly strong entry. A little guitar solo. I haven't seen. I can't think mm. the the last time I saw one of those in the Eurovision. Tremendous night. Biggest gayest night in the world. Um, fantastic. I think it's it's honestly. I feel like within the decade, the U.S. is going to be involved. I think it's going to happen. I think they're just the U.S. is going to get seeded in. Because why the hell not? Bring everyone yeah. in. Well, they're not. They're not in Europe. I think. Yeah, neither is Australia possible. or Israel. So, <laughs> well, I think they, they obviously we've got they got to change the name of the thing or uh, or exclude these countries. No, no, just yeah. Eurovision, Eurovision, and other seems just a completely workable long term solution at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, and they, friends that's a preferred nomenclature. That's it. Yeah, there you go. Eurovision and friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Australia, it's like okay, you know, you I, I guess it, at some point, if you were a British colony, maybe you get included. Yeah, so I mean, Canada. Canada could well, probably slip in, and then, yeah, U.S. after that, Hong Kong, all of them. Yeah, they could all get in there. Why not? Why the fuck not? Get China I would, in. I would set the bar at, do you have socialized medicine? And maybe that'll help us get, you know, uh, Medicare for all or something. But a, a guy can dream. I, I just think it would be bullshit because, you know, Finland, it's like, oh, the, you know, the shirtless man who still has puffy sleeves on uh, sings the weird synth pop song, and then we'd send we'd send like fucking Ed Sheeran or something stupid. Yeah, I then... think I think it would be amazing because yeah, no, America would send Beyonce like in full regalia, and she'd be amazing, <laughs> and then she would lose to like a bunch of like I don't know like Armenian dwarves dressed as women. Just it would mm-hmm. just be insane. It would be amazing. I would love that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I I just think America doesn't. We do not understand how to approach such a thing. We're not on that fucking level. Um, and then it's, it's just like, you know, uh, back when they used to have, you know, you couldn't be a professional player if you were in the Olympics or whatever. So we had to have like, you know, a bunch of schlubs on the, on the hockey team and things like that. You know, that's what we need. We need a, we need a fucking miracle. I think you need to be an unsigned artist without a, a fucking TikTok account. You just got to fucking go out there and bang a keyboard 
We can't have these people. We can't have Beyonce out there. Yeah, they it's, did. It wouldn't, wouldn't work for me. Well, Eurovision has had a couple of, like, uh, who was it, like, fucking Pitbull or someone who showed up a couple of years ago for some <laughs> random country? Like, completely. Like, he has no connection to the country whatsoever. It was someone like that. But, like, Pitbull I'm, became a Latvian citizen for three probably, weeks. I feel like it was something like that. It might not have been Pitbull, but also it was probably Pitbull. It just feels, like, very much in his wheelhouse. Oh, well, he is Mr. Worldwide. I think it, it makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes, it makes sense. True. America. America did its own. They did like the American Song Contest as a TV thing, and every state sent one. It was just like I never really paid attention because it's not like Eurovision whole part point of it is this live spectacle, and it's like it's just one and done. You know, uh, you you can't you can't stretch it out like that. It's just got to be three and a half hours of like politically loaded absurdity and uh, just done. And there's a winner, yeah. and then everyone's like, "Fuck, how do we pay for this?" And that's like just the endless circle of life. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess in America we still just have like nine thousand different song competition TV shows. Although the thing that I I really don't like about any of those is, you know, it used to show the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and it made those highest highs all all the more sweeter. And now it's like fucking American Idol. Everything's a, a fucking sob story. Everybody walks out. They only got like one leg and the other one's got fucking cancer. And they're like, oh, and then they have like the voice of an angel. I don't want that. No, I want I want William Hung, man. No, none of that. Hung. I mean, like, Jesus, the Eurovision, like literally. And I mean, they do bring it up now. And it's like literally uh, the winners of last year is Ukraine. And they're literally in the middle of an act of war. And they can't host it this year because of the act of war that is still happening. And it's still, mm. no one's up there going like, oh, let's have a sob story about it. No, keep moving. It's just a war. Europe has yeah. loads of those. We're used oh to God. them. It, yeah, it's like their whole thing. They're all about the fucking war. So yeah, get fucking used to it. It's stupid. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I, I wish America was willing to embrace uh, just absurdity and, and maybe just a little bit of meanness like they used to back with these fucking singing shows. I just don't do it anymore. We, will we ever have another William Hung? Probably not. Uh, and we've got we've got like pneumatic chairs that spin around and and fancy masks <laughs> for celebrities to wear. I guess. Yeah, we do get that. It's like, oh boy, here comes Tommy Chong dressed as a fucking ant eater. I mean, even uh, that's even <laughs> that's an import. I mean, that's a Korean show originally. Yeah, like yeah, this that's, is what I'm learning. Like America's reaching out to Korea to remake all this of this Good Doctor fucking show that set Twitter ablaze because Twitter discovered that like television exists that isn't Succession. And lost mm. their mind because it's stupid as shit because it's television, which of course it is. And they're like five days constant. Like, I can't believe how dumb this show is. It's like every show was like this when I was growing up. What are you talking about? It's mm -hmm. television. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and it, yeah, that was a Korean remake as well. Like, well, what's happening? Mm -hmm. America's losing its its way in the world. Yeah. We used to be the people who come up with the stupidest shit imaginable. Just, you know, from the from the ground up, we build it up. And now what? We're reaching out to Korea to remake their horse shit? Disgraceful. Yeah. This is well, this I is the optimism vaccine version of like uh right wing nationalist grandstanding. This is the best we can, yeah, this is the best we can do. Put well, me on this the is like this is a common reality TV thing, right? I, I feel like uh the, the British are really kind of the feeder system for oh, all yeah. that stuff. For yeah, sure. I mean, I mean that's people true. freak out about like that stupid mask dating show where everyone was dressed like a sexy animal or whatever that that was a remake you know it's, it's all fucking to, to be fair yeah i mean for cruel reality tv i don't think anyone could top britain like the british system was basically like in violation of the geneva convention for about a decade where they were just like literally 
coming with the most scathingly cruel ordeals they could subject humans to and like hopefully get away with it legally and then they'd all feel bad when one of the contestants committed suicide after the entire nation turned on them for like seven years but yeah you know <laughs> yeah standard stuff jade goody who could ever forget jade goody who i think was on big brother who you know Basically, was just called a stupid whore for, for years, a stupid idiot whore slut for years and years and years. And then she died of cancer, tragically, in like her 30s. And the whole nation rallied around. It's like, oh, well, I'll miss Jade. She was a good one. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're all <laughs> she, she monsters. She definitely kept calm and carried on as we mocked <laughs> her on her deathbed. <laughs> it's absolutely disgusting stuff. And yeah, this is British TV. It's, this is also mm. the same period where British television pioneered the concept of the most exploitative medical documentaries presented as like, oh, we're just giving insights into the life of this as just gawping at freaks. It was like absolutely the tone of the whole thing. Yeah, it was a heyday mm, yeah, for television. Yeah, we took that too. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we mean, took it all. Took it all. Took it all. <laughs> that baby. became the that became like the programming schedule for the learning channel after oh they decided God, yes. we'd learn plenty. I guess they were like, we're done with learning in America. I'm getting this topic is far richer than what this actual episode is about, which yeah, uh, is going to go down the shitter pretty soon. Everyone, I want to well, say maybe I, it ties can... into like House MD. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great show. People are so mad at the fucking doctor. Their autism show. Are do you, Myers, you're not fucking online, so you don't have to deal with this shit. But there's I the remember show. when this show was. This is not a new show. No, it's not. It's launched. been on yeah. for like five years, yeah. and it 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 airs right after The Bachelor. And it's also one of those shows where if you just leave Hulu running, it gets to the end of an episode of something else, and it's just like, hey, I bet you want to watch the Doctor Autism show, and you don't, but it just <laughs> starts playing. And it's, I mean, it's every other shitty, like, Grey's Anatomy, whatever, medical drama, except it happens to have, like, a autistic Doogie Hauser at its center. And it's the most dumb, dumb bullshit fucking imaginable, uh, including, and, and if you're listening, I would not recommend watching the show because it's dumb, but it's not, like, engaging or fun. It's just grating. Uh, the only thing that I ever got a chuckle out of on the show is I remember the very first episode that aired because they were hyping it up. They're like, right after The Bachelor, the debut of The Good Doctor, a different kind of doctor. And there's this scene where the titular Good Doctor, it's like him as like a, a child and his dad, like out of the kid is like holding a cat or something. And he's like, the dad's like, you dumb autistic son of mine. He like grabs the cat and just fucking like whips it against the wall. Uh, and I, that <laughs> okay yeah, yeah so all i that. know about it is yeah i remember when it was launching and it, it has the guy who was in the who was, who was the norman bates in the norman bates tv show that was mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah but it's it's just it's absurd to me that people are finally discovering the show because they're like oh the doctor on the good doctor said something like transphobic <laughs> And they're like, oh, maybe he's the bad doctor now. And uh, everyone's up in arms like, yeah, that show has sucked shit and uh, probably has the, the fucking politics of. Uh, What's even I don't worse? Even no, apparently, apparently the episode is actually like it comes out. He like he, he comes to understand trans things. That's like a 30 second out, you know, yeah, early yeah. in the episode clip. But yeah, I, I just don't understand how it's like everyone knows TV is stupid as shit, particularly like this yeah. like basic cable stuff. Oh like, my god, and, fuck? and fucking doctor shows have a long and storied history of this. You think fucking Doctor House MD was uh 
<laughs> trans ally. Right, and it's the same yeah, guy right. making it. This guy went to Korea and, and found this yeah, show yeah. and brought it back. But it's like it's the same house MD dude. Yeah, I just don't understand how this enraptured people for like five days solid online. It's just like, no Jesus, hang clue. out with your parents and understand how you sound. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Well, uh, unfortunately, we didn't watch Eurovision and we're not watching The Good Doctor or House MD. Uh, we watched a different type of house. <laughs> it's the the house horror franchise. <laughs> and uh, I yeah. just want to say uh, this is this is an ongoing Jake bought a house series of episodes. Jake, Jake bought a house slash new evil dead. Uh, it, it all ties in. It, it was in like one of these the episodes. Are. Two yeah. of these films are also wrapping up our coverage of the La Casa series. To be yeah, fair. exactly. <laughs> this is an extension of, of La Casa. Also, uh, I, I want to say that one of these films, House 4, uh, it was a critical failure. It was a commercial failure. You it was direct to video. Say. Yeah, you don't fucking say. Uh, and it was the, you know, the worst performing. It was direct to video in the U.S., but... It was like number one at the fucking box office in Italy. <laughs> Italy, baby. Well, they had to see the, the conclusion. La Casa 6. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, everyone knows really that franchises barely get heated up until the sixth part, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's where, that's where it starts fucking cooking. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street didn't get good until Freddy's dead, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Friday the 13th, part six? Everyone loves that one. I mean, I, I honestly, like, because Sean S. Cunningham, Mr. Friday the 13th himself, is behind the house franchise, and mm -hmm. frankly, God, I would, like, I would watch the back half of the Friday the 13th series a million times over than ever watch any of these again. Yeah, I, um, I, I was shocked. A lot of times we go into something and we're like, okay, we're probably wading into some shit, uh, you know, uh, obviously, Jack, you and I both raised concerns about where we're going to be landing next week with the episode. But, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, that's oh, so, yes, because you guys are fools. <laughs> I mean, it's looking good now. Yeah, it is. It is. And, it was always times, looking good. I've seen Jeff Fahey. He's looking good always. <laughs> I, I just feel we've been doing this long enough where I, I, I just feel like I can at least get an idea of, of how it's going to go. And I didn't think this was going to be like, oh, every single fucking film is going to be a home run. I didn't think it was going to be like this. No. Um, no. So, first and foremost, the House series franchise, uh, I am shocked that it is a franchise at all because uh, while the original House was, uh, which is probably the best of the bunch, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a surprise financial success. Critics were kind of split on it, whatever. Uh, but it did pretty well, so it deserved uh, maybe a sequel to see how it goes. And for some reason, uh, House 2, the second story, which, as an aside, wonderful, wonderful fucking title for a movie. Every movie should dream of having a title that good. House 2, House 3, House 4. It gets three sequels. We go, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a seven-year fucking franchise. There are plenty of great things out there that do not get this many sequels. And somehow, none of these movies are related <laughs> in any way, shape, or no, form. This is like a diehard special of, right here. It's sort of like one and four are, are kind of related, no, but not in They bring a way. back one, one, this one actor for like a yeah. day. I think he's but in is he, And is he the same guy? No, I, I he has a new family, entirely yeah. new family. Can't be. It's, 
It's very strange. I don't understand. None of these have anything to do with each other. They're all broken and, and kind of in different ways, <laughs> which is impressive. Yeah. But it really, like, the only thing that ties them together is technically there is a house in each one of these movies, although how much the house plays into whatever's going on, it varies. I'm, I'm trying to I think mean, how many horror... with the, you, Using that criteria, I think you could tie together 99% of films ever well, made. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, how, many, how many horror movies don't have a house in them? Like, well, yeah, what's you, our you list in here? Called, I mean... Yeah, I, you could have called the Halloween series house. They, they all got yep. houses. Halloween sure. house. Yeah, I, you could have done it. Uh, it so they, they all definitely have houses, and they're all broken in different ways. And I think the biggest issue that they all have is this is a franchise that, uh, despite going through a gazillion different screenwriters, including the great Jim Wynorski, they never figured out a fucking tone for any of these <laughs> And it's super, super weird. And I know we've been talking about Evil Dead. And this makes me appreciate Evil Dead so much more. Because, I, like, the ability to blend actual horror and actual comedy can be fucking difficult. And the House series is completely unable to do it. It's just, a, it's a disaster. Yeah, it's it's a complete like uh, the first house movie. Just dive in like on the first one. Okay, it's it's there's there's a perfectly serviceable idea within this. Basically, house one is about a guy who inherits a house. His aunt had it before. She commits suicide under unusual circumstances. She was always convinced the house was haunted. So a man moves in there and he's he's haunted by memories of of his experiences in the Vietnam War with PTSD, and he also lost a son mysteriously. And so there's all these kind of elements. He's moved into haunted house. He has PTSD. There's all these things you can, oh. and, he's, and he's writing a, a book. <laughs> yeah, and a divorce because the son, his they lost their son, so his wife became estranged and they split up. He's trying to write his memoirs of Vietnam, you know, to like get that out to excise that. There's all this stuff in the movie that's pretty heavy, frankly. Divorce, mm -hmm. missing child, PTSD. Lost an aunt to suicide, etc., etc., and for some reason, uh, the director, this Steve Miner, just is like, okay, so it should be a comedy, and not only should it be a comedy, it shouldn't be like you know, like Reanimator, which came out the same year, blended horror and comedy, and you know, it's like this very pitch black vein of you know, comic kind of like nastiness to it. No, it should be basically like fucking Caddyshack horror, <laughs> like stuck into a haunted house movie, and. If you say that, well, that seems like it would be a very specific kind of thing. It might be hard to temper those elements and make it work. Yeah, it really would. And they don't manage it at all. This is an ad, like this movie, just an extended sequences of a guy like whacking funny rubber monsters with a golf club while it like tries to grab onto his hands and like cutting people up and things. It, there's there's no particular jokes in it. It's just like the whole PTSD thing turns into some kind of just weird aside the whole movie just mm -hmm. feels completely schizophrenic and really sets a tone, as you say, for the, the next three sequels of movies that just have no idea who they're for or what they should be about. It's, it's just kind yeah. of remarkable how much each one individually and uniquely misses the mark. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, this it, rubber oh, monster thing is like a big problem to my mind because it's like, I, it's presented as his wife. Like his wife is has you know received a call from uh from norm 
and shows up and he we just should probably comes back down. it up and mention that george <laughs> went aka norm from cheers is in this movie as the next door neighbor yeah that's the uh, the other early through line of these movies is uh, we have norm in house one and cliff in house two but uh, <laughs> uh, then, then, yeah. the, then they cut off the cheers stuff they ran out of cheers and both money. of them i think safe to say are the highlights of their respective mm-hmm. movies certainly george went is the only funny thing in house and he brings this effortless comic timing that almost just makes it stand out even more how nothing else in this movie is funny at all. Mm-hmm. Sure, but but nonetheless, the, his wife, in theory, you know, and the audience kind of believes it, and he kind of believes it, that she shows up because she received this sort of distress call because the guy's cracking up, and he just guns her down with a rifle, and then uh, it, it's like this thing like, oh shit. I, I, is it a monster? Is it not a monster? But then it's kind of like once it, once it's dead, it's his wife, and he he carries her body and puts it in under the stairs, and there's a, a, immediately this stupid fucking thing with the police where it undercuts any dramatic tension. But uh, that's the name of the game with House. Um, but even after that resolves, and he like goes and buries it in the backyard, and you're like, wouldn't this guy? The whole setup is like he's this tortured guy, and he wants to get back. Like he obviously, his wife is still in love with him, and they're you know, oh maybe he'll rescue his son here somehow from the ghosts that stole him or something. And so when when there's this thing of like, I think I just shot and killed my wife. Like he doesn't even make like a phone call to see if she she was actually there or if he's losing uh, it. It's estranged wife, ex-wife. Okay, well, like, it'd be one know. thing if it was like that bitch. But that's not yeah, the tone of this fucking movie. Her. It's it's like yeah, she's, no. she's, she's a like sympathetic him. ex-wife. Well, she <laughs> likes him. It's just that the kid has the, you know, the death of the child has driven them apart, Steve. Really, what you need is you need to take like Lance Henriksen's performance in House Three and plop it into this movie where you have him like he looks like Lance Henriksen, obviously, and is like frayed and is having these dreams and seems like a danger to his family. Yeah. That energy would really belong in this movie about the tortured Vietnam vet who's losing his mind. Wow. But all no. the house puzzle pieces for the entire franchise were thrown into one big box and they just kind of shook them out and then tried to piece them together. And like, yeah, if you take little bits from every single one of these four movies, you could probably put together one or two decent movies, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's just so insane though to leave the audience going, "That guy killed his wife." Like, <laughs> is that is that what just happened? He killed his wife and buried her in the backyard, cut her into pieces, and buried her. her. Yeah. While, while hitting on the the hot Swedish woman two doors down, it's yeah. none of it. Like, yeah, there's no consistency to it whatsoever. It's something that that occurs throughout them. We'll come back to it certainly for fucking House Three, which is God. Probably maybe the almost the most like tonally successful of them, but still kind of a pain yeah. a pain to sit through. But yeah, these movies are full of like hallucinations and fake outs, but there's no underpinning structure for the film. So like you know, so basically they're movies where the every member like sees things. You know, it's like they there's a body and they turn them over and it's like are they asleep? But no, they're like bloodied and dead. But then they actually were just asleep. It was just a shock jump hallucination and they do like each one of these movies has several dozens of these and you realize the films are going nowhere they're just treading water there's no structure to them there's no the characters are completely indifferent just kind of paper dolls just kind of strewn about the film it just gets so incredibly boring and like i should i should mention this one i've seen all these movies before i watched these two years ago maybe and I watched them maybe like a week apart, and I watched all four of them, 
And watching them again last week, I couldn't remember a goddamn thing about any of them. I remembered one of them had to do with Vietnam and one of them starred Lance Henriksen. That was it. That's that's my full recollection of the House franchise. And watching them all in kind of like quick succession, I did like two double bills basically over two days. God, never do that. They like it didn't it didn't really occur to me how bad they were if you like space them out. Then they're just kind of like you know, they're they're not uniquely awful. They're just kind of boring and stilted. Uh, if if you stick them together, though, my God, they become an absolute chore. They're just god awful films. I mean, you know, they they just they, they they just feed on each other to just kind of drain all the life out of you. There's nothing exciting or interesting or cool in them. Um, yeah, which is remarkable. You know, you think for like '80s reasonably well budgeted horror movies, they might accidentally. Do something cool. Nope. Not a chance. Just absolutely just fucking deadeningly boring, almost start to finish without fail. Yeah, yeah. I think stunt casting is their greatest triumph. Because I, I <laughs> guess we have George Went we also have Bull from Night Court in the first house film as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh yeah, I I don't know. They can't even like stay consistent with the humor either. Uh there's like all of this slap sticky stuff and the, and the stuff with George went and the big rubber monsters where it's almost fun. And then the other big comedic moment is this, the, the, the woman next door, uh, just like comes over unannounced. It's like you have to babysit my child. Oh my God. That whole seat. Oh, and, and then it, it goes on forever. And it's like, oh, and then the monsters get the kid. It's just the the most boneheaded, elaborate setup just so you could have this kid captured or whatever. And these are all these are all like significant plot beats thematically for the protagonist in theory. Like, I'm not even sure what motivates him to go back to the house. Like, I think it's just writer's block. Like he's like, I gotta go, I gotta go confront this so I can write my fucking book. Mm -hmm. Which is just called like one man's story of Vietnam. It's like what a <laughs> fucking best selling author we got. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, yeah, but so everything is like set up in a certain way where you're like, all right, well, this guy's gonna have to like he's interested suddenly, you know, once he sees this monster in the closet, he's like setting up all these cameras, like he's gonna prove the existence of ghosts or something. And that's not followed up on at all. In fact, no. When he, he, you know, he's got this moving, dismembered body. You think if he was interested in proving the existence of the paranormal, maybe, maybe using it for financial gain or something. And then you think he'd use that, but no, yeah, and, no, he, he's and just worth mentioning, he's, he's officially, he's a horror writer, right? So he has already yeah. made it. He's like Stephen King, but he's doing this Vietnam bio as like a, a side project to exercise the demons. Yeah. You think if Stephen King came into possession of concrete proof of extra, like, supernatural forces. Yeah, probably probably might see a commercial avenue for that. Right. It's not mm -hmm. like you have to pursue that angle, but you set up that angle, and then you just disregard it. And you no, set no, up this, this was, angle... Uh, he, was not in his, he wasn't in a Stephen King era. This was his Richard Bachman era. So that's uh, why yeah, that's true. Vietnam. I'm sorry, Myros. Go ahead. And then you set up, like, you set up this angle with... The family reconciliation or or perhaps even rescuing the son or getting over the son's death you know and then they present things like this babysitting scene where it's just like all right now he's got this kid in this place he knows is dangerous he doesn't want this kid here but but god damn it he's gonna protect this kid 
Uh, instead, he just like fucking is he 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 wants he makes some crack about the kid giving him a plastic bag to choke on <laughs> and also yeah he just like fucking i don't know he leaves the kid alone and just like goes to write his fucking book it's like what how yeah, am i supposed not, to like, give like a monster about this fucking guy like he's supposed to be like showing character growth that you you set up these scenarios that are supposed to be like ah yes He's growing as a man. He's getting over his trauma. And then instead, he's just like a, an aloof fucking asshole. And he's like, just <laughs> lets this kid get fucking sucked up some chimney by dwarves or something. It's like, what? Yeah, what you is know, going on? It's fine. It's not, it's not like fucking the, the architect from Hellraiser hadn't previously just jumped out of a closet in the, the house. He's like, no, kid, just go do your own thing. It's fine, probably. Yeah. No. And his own son was taken at this very <laughs> Yeah, which ties yeah. in the big plot twist is essentially that the the ghost of a man he failed to save in Vietnam, um, it stole his child and is has actually is is actually the spirit haunting the house, but also some other spirit was haunting the house for the whole time his aunt lived there as well. <laughs> is it the same guy? Absolutely unclear. No idea. I just assume the only way that they could rescue this was with a with a. Oh, this is the novel he's writing. I, I assume that must be the ending, right? Like this. Yeah. This whole fucking path is the the book he's writing. But no, the book he's the worst book ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with it. It's just fucking complete bullshit. <laughs> and the end of every one of these movies is complete bullshit. Where it's like, oh, everything that happened. No, everyone's fine, and we're happy family again. Happy families. Yeah, it's the the main through line for all of these movies, except for three, is that they are actually all children's movies. But they, but no one seems to be aware of this. The people making no. the movies are not aware they are making children's movies. Uh, but but they are. I mean, they're they're kind of like they're a little bit risque for kids. But like, absolutely, all these movies are for eight year olds. They, they oh, only yeah. only people who could drive any kind of satisfaction from these are small children. I, exactly. I think that's that that would explain the endings like what other fucking like horror producer would okay this ending where it's like well I guess uh no death has occurred during this movie everyone's just unscathed and is hugging at the end for a group photo and that's that becomes the hallmark of our franchise for some yeah. fucking reason. Yeah. Well and and this is a good transition into the second movie I think because holy shit you want to talk about a a fucking kids movie um House 2 the second story this is, I, I, I don't understand how this isn't a you kids movie. You guys say kids movie. I don't think this is a kids movie. I think this is like the worst version of like a Bill and Ted slash like Weekend at Bernie's like dumb I mean, it guys has, ambling about movie. It has, I mean, it has barely that energy. any violence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's got no, the energy. It, it has that energy. Like, like House 2, like if I had to pick, like I kind of have a feeling House 2 might be the only movie that might actually satisfy any audience because I think House 2 has and I don't think it would work anymore because kids nowadays are too savvy but in like 1986 or 87 or whenever the hell it came out like uh, the special effects in House 2 were done by Chris Wallace who's uh, did like The Fly and directed The Fly 2 and he's like you know he's, he's a special effects super genius there's all kinds of cool special effects in House 2. They've got, like, puppetry and makeup effects and matte paintings and, you know, all these, like, they're doing all kinds of cool shit in there. There's a lot of, like, fun things. And they're all, like, cutesy monsters and, like, pterodactyls that become pets and a puppy caterpillar monster thing. All of this is, like, 
I think maybe in the 80s a kid maybe would enjoy this movie and it's just full of scatological action and at some point they rescue uh, a beautiful virgin lady from an Aztec sacrifice. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, like just insane nonsense. It's complete boys adventure crap. But like, I, yeah. it's the only one of these movies that I could, I could almost imagine if someone came up to me and said, you know, oh yeah, House 2. I saw that when I was eight years old. I really enjoyed it. That's the only circumstance I could imagine anyone describing a house movie as I don't being know, fun. Jack. It, if I if I had a kid who who liked this movie, I'd probably get a late term abortion. That's the late. <laughs> I mean, it would I, be weird now. I mean, in fucking two thousand and twenty three, yeah. it'd be weird as hell to know. get into. I'd just it, be but- thankful they weren't watching like Encanto or something. <laughs> you know, like Encanto. <laughs> Is that the? I assume that's the one with the. What's his name, right, Mr. Hamilton? Do no, any of no, none of us watch yeah, Pixar movies? The last no, one, the know. last time I watched a Pixar movie was because I was stuck on a plane. I had no other choice, and I watched Inside Out, and I was so angry for the whole fucking movie. <laughs> so well, imagine that plus Lin Manuel Miranda. If you have a movie, you never want <laughs> your fucking God. kids. <laughs> God, I saw something. Uh, my nieces and nephews are watching it, and it, holy fuck. I, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like, it's all these like CGI animals and they just have like a karaoke contest and they just fucking sing songs. But it was like, it was theatrically released. This is like a major release movie. I think, yeah, like, I think that movie is called Sing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like, hey, you want to see a fucking CGI pig do like, I don't know, black eyed peas? Yeah, look, to be fair, the last time the last time I was hanging out with my nephew and he's really into like these Roblox games, Roblox being something I don't really understand. It's like some kind of engine and everyone makes a thousand shitty drain your wallet and nickel at a time fucking crappy games, but they're all free or something. And he plays all of them on a tablet. He was watching some like YouTube compilation of like funniest Roblox moments. I was just making breakfast while he was watching it, and at some point, the narrator of the video just goes, Death to America. And I was like, what are kids watching now? What is happening? So you know what? Yeah. House 2, bring it back. It's safe. Bring it's it terrible. I would watch that with a kid over just giving them yeah. access to YouTube. It it does have a puppy caterpillar. Um, it's got pretty good. Puppy. It does have Bill Maher too. Little, yeah, it's got Bill Maher. That's, if your kids like Bill Maher, oh <laughs> Jesus, if you got a, if you got a politically incorrect <laughs> eight year old, oh, watch out. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's this is a weird one too because well, the first thing they do is they completely throw out the titular house from the first movie. Uh, yeah. New house, new crew, new problems, and uh, uh, you know it's got it's got a crystal skull. It's got like a 150-year-old grandpa who they like dig out of the ground, which is also pretty fucked up because the catalyst for this whole movie is he moves into this house and he finds this like book in the basement that details this crystal skull or something. He's like, look at the crystal skull he's holding. It's a special one with jewels in the eyes and we got to find it. And then he determines that the solution to finding it is we have to dig up the corpse of my great-great-grandfather, <laughs> which is fucked up. And he does, and, and Grandpa's alive because the crystal skull gives you, you know, uh, eternal life. But the catch is, everybody wants the crystal skull. So, like, all these, you know, dimensional portals are opening up, and they're just trying to have a Halloween party. But, uh-oh, some caveman just walked in and tried to steal the skull, and this, this is what happens. Yeah, wish yeah. It was a kid, man. It's, like, it's, a, it's actually a thinly veiled Conan the Barbarian joke because the oh. character's name is Arnold the Barbarian. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. fucking her. I mean, yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's classic. Again, to, to, to harp back on this, like, I'm just saying, 
I'm not saying House 2 is good. It absolutely isn't. No. It's just tedious as hell to sit through it. I'm just saying, of all the movies, this is the only one I can imagine any kind of a market share for. Like, the first movie is a kid's movie, but kids don't want to know about PTSD and the Vietnam War. They don't care about that. The first movie... Total, Maybe not the kids you hang out with. <laughs> total shit show. Three, three is, is for adults. It's gory as hell, and it's boring as hell. It's a terrible horror movie. Four, yeah. no one wants to see House 4. There's not a human alive who's ever nominally wanted to go like, oh, let's, let's watch House 4. Love this. Listen, Jeff, Italians. my favorite thing to do is I, as I go, my, I find my, my six-year-old nephew, and I say, come here, you little, you little whippersnapper. And I take him, and uh, we go to the convalescent home, specifically the dementia ward, and I say, I want you to go up to each one of these old men and ask them how Charlie fucked them up in Vietnam. And then he just walks around and talks to each and every one of them. Sit on that man's lap, but don't, but don't like tap on the desk or anything. You'll think it's machine gun fire. You got to watch out. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't fucking know what any of this is. And even like thinking of, okay, so, you know, let's, let's pretend that house two is a kid's movie, even though it's not like it is, but it doesn't think it is. And that's the problem. There's nary a boob in it. And there's not a lot of like gory violence. I think that like a guy gets shot in the fucking arm at one point. That's about it. Uh, and then the end, he like, I don't know, he like blows a, a, the demon cowboy's head off, but it just shatters like a clay pot. Yeah. No gore. It's very strange. But it, it's just like, it, it doesn't have the tone or the beats of a children's movie. Like, it, it's like, it's like saying weird science is a children's movie. Uh, there's another, yeah, that, yeah. that fits right into yeah. what I mean, call to, this To be fair, exactly. it doesn't have the tone or beats of any film. Like, there's no, yes. the, nor, the story of this is just an like, just a uh, unshaped glob of clay slapped like, in a wall. Like, <laughs> like, what are these guys mm -hmm. doing at the house? What motivated them to find the skull? Like, they're, they're not like adventurers. They're just dipshits. <laughs> yeah, absolute dipshits. Why are they at the house? I don't no, know. None of it. None of it. I think it, one it, of them like inherited it or something. But oh yeah, everybody's <laughs> always inheriting houses. Yeah. This is the fucking problem with the 1980s, man. All these fucking rich people. Like God, the, I mean, assuming that the character from the first house is the character in the fourth house, he inherits not one but two houses. <laughs> that's why everyone that was. That's why our fucking parents had so much money. You know, and no college debt. They're just getting houses left. This is Steve. Right. Steve, you're not on the old the old house take. You know, you you're really no. nothing coming into you. That's a shame. I've got three or four houses lined yeah. up. You know. You know what? My dad died, and uh, studio apartment. You can't take that home, and uh, <laughs> a lot of medical debt. That's yep. I don't want that. That's not a house. That haunts uh, you in a different way. Like my parents have already divested of all their property. God forbid. They pass yeah. yeah. Anyone. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't fucking know, but yeah, house two is, is weird. Like again, you're 11, it's 1985. You saw weird science, even though your mom told you you couldn't and you got a boner and now you want to watch something that you think spooky, but it's not. And Bill and Ted hasn't been invented yet. House two. That's house two. Yeah, I mean, That's like my pitch. The, the the top line of this is towards the end they rescue a like beautiful virgin princess or something, and it's played by like Devin DeVasquez. And and for me, I'm just looking and going like, you know what's a great movie? Society. Maybe I should just turn this <laughs> off and that. just swap yeah. over because that's much weirder than these movies ever were, and also knows mm. who it's made for. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. also mad because uh, House the Second Story. Uh, aside from that great title, it's got this really fucking wonderful poster where it's like a severed 
monster hand with a key going to like open a door. Yeah, and that's, that doesn't isn't that just that's just the same poster from House Ones. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's and it's so not good. an either. It doesn't represent anything that happens in any of these no. movies. I believe in 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 House One. He he doesn't have a key opening the door. He's ringing the doorbell. Oh, with this little okay. Yeah, they did yeah. as which, little alteration to the artist, yeah. as humanly which possible. frankly may yeah. may be a reference to Hal Ashby's the 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 landlord or whatever. Uh, I think it's a similar setup, but it's just with a regular hand. But you know, probably they didn't know that because I don't like this. Does not feel like the movie of people who have any frame of reference to reality no. at all. It's it's absolutely. Yeah, I mean, these films just absolutely just feel like they, they showed up every single day and made stuff up, and they were very bad at that. That's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't... This continues on through the series as well, which is, like, this fucking, like, native mysticism, or I, I don't know what oh, the God, fuck yeah. it's supposed to be here, like, the Mayans or the Aztecs or something. But, oh, I mean, I guess this house, God knows where the fuck they source this thing from. But Christ, it sure was not like South America, so I don't know what the hell. It's this bizarre like yeah, alternate went, reality with yeah, where they went we with have the crystal a, skull, which I think I guess they decided that's mm -hmm. like a South American thing. I don't know why yeah. particularly, so they throw that in. But you're right, like yeah, the house itself looks like a fucking like Nickelodeon kids game show set. Yeah, it, the living room is like legitimately decorated like Olmec's temple for fuck's sake. <laughs> it's just like what in the hell are we doing? <laughs> like why yeah. is this but most of the time they're like old northeastern houses that you wouldn't see outside of like yeah new england but still uh, we'll we'll see what the fuck's going on in house four but it's still it's like mm. and then uh the guy from the reservation shows up and uh here we have all this fucking native american hokum and it's like i i think these movies just take place in an alternate reality where we didn't like subjugate native americans we in fact just like integrated the two cultures you know that's what's happening <laughs> just yeah they're just coexisting perfectly right now yeah uh well the the other thing that i i, I don't understand about this franchise is uh house one surprise success they bring back writers of house one fred decker and ethan wiley they bring them back for house two the second story uh they both write it ethan wiley directs it's a colossal failure and for some reason, they decide, you know what? Give it another shot. Why not? House 3, the horror show. Uh, no more Decker, no more Wiley, all new crew. And this is insane because it, it's not, it has nothing to do with anything. Like, this is the most completely detached movie in the franchise. So much so that it was just called the horror show in the United States. It wasn't even called House 3, what the horror show. What a fucking show. compelling title that is. It yeah, has so yeah. much to do with the film as well. Well, and here, here's the other thing that's great about that, the horror show. Yeah, House 3, it, that's what it was called in, you know, overseas. However, what what is the fucking horror? What is that? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's the, just descriptive as calling it House 3. The horror well, show is is Brian James kind of jazzing it up as Freddy Krueger <laughs> Mark II. Oh God! Trailer Park Freddy Krueger. This is this isn't like. There's a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street ripoffs out there. Obviously, it was this massive horror franchise, and at this point, I I, I don't think I've ever seen one that apes Nightmare on Elm Street more than the horror show. And it's even better because you're like, damn, this rips off a Nightmare on Elm Street, but it also really rips off. Shocker, Shocker yep. yeah. another mm -hmm. Wes Craven movie. So it's like a, it's like a double whammy. 
And wouldn't you know, this movie came out like a few months before Shocker. So somehow huh. it predates Shocker while being essentially shitty Shocker with Freddy Krueger in it. Well, I mean, Shocker's um, pretty shitty as is, but this is much worse. Yeah, this is, I know, I appreciate Shocker so much more now. Uh, this is, it's the most functional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the one, like, I mean, this is actually, and, and there, there are two cuts of this. It's like a U.S., it, it got cut in the U.S. to get an R rating. It has, like, a more mm -hmm. gory international version, which immediately separates it from the first two that are all, you know, very obviously kids things. This is very much like a gore movie. Um, you know, like lots mm -hmm. of lots of severed limbs and uh, Brian James is playing a, a serial killer. He's killed like 120 people with a meat <laughs> With a meat flavor, yeah. Somehow. With his daunting name, Max Jinky. I'm like, Jinky. <laughs> oh, you gotta watch out for Jinky. laugh. Watch out. <laughs> it's like Fusty the Clown with a meat cleaver. Who the fuck okayed that? Like, he's given this like, I mean, it's a camp performance, but still, this like, supposed no, to be th yeah. this menacing thing, and he's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah mysterious but like this movie again you you could see it like this this is this is supposed to be like a scary horror movie but it's just again it's just absolutely it's just tedious to sit through this one i think of all of them is the most guilty of the like the the like jump cut scare that's actually nothing you know the hallucination yeah it feels like there's like yeah, 50 individual jump scares. Oh, God, yeah. Like, this feels like there must be at least, like, 50 individual, like, shock reveals. Actually, it was just a hallucination thing. Like, nothing happens for, like, 40 minutes in the middle of this movie. And it's just something with just Lance Henriksen, who plays a burnt-out cop, who managed to eventually catch uh, Jenky, the serial killer, and it's going to see him fry on the electric chair and he's just basically just walking around and like seeing visions and the visions play out but then he's like oh, no it wasn't real and that just keeps happening forever like the whole movie just keeps doing it over and over again and it's it's all it's it's all shit you've seen before half of it's reminiscent of like fucking videodrome which again like you know, if you're making a movie and you're not quite sure it's any good Stop reminding people of good movies. Like, don't <laughs> yeah. don't do that. That's a terrible idea. No, not a good move. Um, not uh, yeah. a good move. But really, it is gory. This is this is a pretty gory horror movie for the eighties. So I mean, you think that would be the selling selling point? But like, it just it again just kind of shits the bed. It's it just can't yeah. keep any kind of tension or story. It's not scary at all. You no no, no. way anyone has, could be it has scared. Problem with tension and uh, a common theme in the house franchise. Big problems with tone. Uh, it it starts out of the gate like hot, and oh, I yeah. thought it was gonna. I th I thought it was going somewhere. I was like, this could be all right because you know one of the jokes in the beginning is, uh, well, it, the the serial killer meat cleaver man. He's uh, Max Jenke. He kills a bunch of cops, and then he's got this little blonde girl that he's like holding hostage, and he tries to get Lance Henriksen to you know come after him. And then there's this part where, you know, you think Lance Henriksen is going to make the save on the girl. And there's this goofball laugh moment where Max Jakey like lops the little girl's head off this like little like five year old girl and then like tosses the head over to Lance Henriksen, who is solid in this. And he really hams it up at this moment. He's like, ah, 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 <laughs> with the head. It's fucking great. And I thought, OK, if this is, you know, if it's going down this path it might have found something you know what and, and fine like you can even do the shocker thing and the nightmare on elm street thing but the problem it runs into is you, there's 
the stakes are at an all time low because everything is just a fucking cop out. Like the, it, no one of any consequence is killed. And it's constant like, ooh, that was just a dream that you had. No, no one's actually being hurt. And then it, it also, it, when we say it's a Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff, it's not ripping off the original Nightmare on Elm Street. This is like somewhere between the tone of Elm Street 4 and Elm Street 5, which is not <laughs> an area you want to be in. It is, that is the lowest point of Elm I, Street. I mean, Elm Street 4, it starts out as Elm Street 4, and unfortunately, by the half-hour mark, devolves into Elm Street 5. Where, <laughs> yeah, it's... Like, I, I would say the first half-hour or so of this movie are the best that this franchise has to offer. And yep. that's... They're also horrible. Don't get me wrong. Like, this movie's incompetent from the jump and is ridiculous to the degree that I was like, oh, we're on to something because this movie is stupid city and... I'm, I'm buying a ticket, baby, because it's just yeah. the dumbest shit you could possibly imagine when he gets, like, electrocuted and is just, like, stumbling around screaming about how he's gonna fuck Lance Henriksen's family or something. It's just, like, yeah, it's dumb, great. dumb nonsense. And you're and like, there's, there's right. a great bit where you find out later on that he's been micro-dosing electricity to build up his tolerance for the oh, chair. Yeah. That's, like, That's the best part of yeah. this whole thing. It's, like, the big twist. It's, like, well, how is he Freddy Kruegering everyone? And it's not like, oh, evil from beyond the grave and, you know, mystical shit. It's just like, no, he knew that eventually he was going to get caught and would be given the electric chair. So for who knows how long? Yeah, he's been micro dosing, electrocuting himself. So when they go to actually execute him, they put him in the electric chair and he survives and he's just like, juice me up again, bitches. And then his like <laughs> blood starts boiling out of his fucking body. And Lance Hendrickson, I, I don't even, Lance Hendrickson doesn't do anything. He kind of like cowers and like picks holds up, a, up chair. a holding chair. Yeah, he picks <laughs> up a chair. Yeah. It is, it's fucking wild. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like the first like 30 minutes of this, I'm like, yes, on board. Yeah. yeah. I just want to clarify. It's not, it's not like the first 30 minutes of this are building to anything good. They're just building no. to the right kind of bad. Exactly. <laughs> and then exactly. unfortunately it turns into this thing where it's like, Oh, turns out Brian James, the Max Jinky is framing him up. Lance Hendrickson's being framed for murder. And it's like, uh, no, this is fucking stupid and boring. Yeah, like, let's cares? just sit him in this room with a bunch of shitty cops and, and have this interrogation scene for 15 fucking minutes. It's like, how about yeah, we yeah. don't? <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it, it completely like betrays a lot of the, the fun campy stuff. And then when it, tries to circle back around to camp it misses the mark because it goes from you know like creepy black comedy goofy into let's pitch shift max jenky the killer's voice so that you know we, oh he has appeared on the thanksgiving turkey and he's like oh, I'm a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's, that's part nothing. of the electric powers i don't know uh, yeah I, I i don't know but and this then, movie and then the, the like, aforementioned laugh. Oh yeah, it also does like the thing where, where it's the tonally con, the tonal confusion comes back in with like, Lance Henriksen is playing this fairly straight, like you know a man who's out to protect his family, a good cop, and the way they cast this family is like from fucking Pee Wee Herman or something. Like what the <laughs> hell are we doing with these characters? Like this yeah. stupid son who's like wearing a midriff tank top the whole time and is just like scamming people out of cans of beans. That's his characteristic. Yeah, he's, he's, like, he's putting in fake. Th he's basically like uh, the kid brother from like Better Off Dead, except that's an actual comedy. So it makes yeah. sense. Oh my God. But it makes no sense here. Right? so <laughs> fucked up because he, he looks so weird. 
He looks like a fat 37-year-old trying to play a child. And he's supposed to be like 12 in this, I think. And he's 20. He's fucking 20. That's a 20-year-old man. He's like five foot fucking one, but he looks like an old man. It's so goddamn In, in weird. a cutoff, yeah, in the cutoff shirt. And also he keeps, he listens to rock music obsessively and he keeps like, he's got a gun to his poster and he's like, don't interrupt me when I'm listening to Metallica. And then obviously they do not have the funds to license any music from those groups. So he's just <laughs> no, listening to generic no. butt rock 24 is his father's Lance Henriksen, and not like not like toned down Zach fucking Morris. hippie Lance Henriksen. No, this is this is grizzled cop Lance Henriksen. Like you think if all of a sudden a fucking truckload of beans arrived at his house, he wouldn't like strangle the shit out of this kid. Well, and this this is like okay, so how are we characterizing uh, you know Lance Henriksen's son, little Scott? And the answer is uh, one, he likes rock music. Two, he looks like a little man. And three, uh, he's, there's this running bit where he calls up companies and says that like he found a severed hand or something inside of his bag of Doritos, and then they send him a bunch of free shit. So in the beginning, he just like gets like four cases of Nesquik delivered to his house, and then his mom's like, Scott, that's the fourth delivery this month! And then the big fucking thing at the end, and these movies, again, the 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 another of the very few commonalities is somehow no matter what everything is fine in the yeah. end uh, often and, better than it started you know that the oh. kid in the first one he was he was probably presumably gone for years suddenly yeah, now he's a hellish void <laughs> yeah <laughs> now he's fine he's could look forward to them explaining that to the social security office but whatever and mm-hmm, we'll get into mm-hmm. four as well, but that's certainly something oh, something goes boy. out there too <laughs> yeah so the the end of uh house three and big spoilers for some reason there's like this scientist adjacent character who only exists to <laughs> tell lance hedrickson he's just like an info dump yeah, he's, he's like the human exposition Wikipedia. man yeah yeah hello it's me dr exposition and he just walks on screen and he goes yeah i i know something and the something i know is Max Jenke has turned himself into spiritual electricity and you gotta, <laughs> you gotta like go into his Freddy Krueger spiritual realm and electrocute him and then he becomes real and then you can shoot him and Lance doesn't believe him, but then he believes him. That's why, yeah, so yeah. Like, he's like, I wrote a paper, I'm a doctor. Anyway, electricity is evil and it's like, okay, who funded yeah, yeah. this so research? So this is the like, you gotta like grab Freddy Krueger inside your dream and then wake up and then you bring him, like that, that's this. And so they do, and Lance kills him, and everything's fine, whatever. Um, well, but, Lance doesn't kill him. Oh, he kills the shocker. Sorry. Yeah, he kills the shocker. Yeah, he kills the shocker. Uh, he, so then at the end, they're moving out of the, the titular house because, of course, right? Like all these horrific things just happen. Well, they have a dangerous furnace situation they, going yeah, on. They have a very dangerous well. furnace because the, the furnace in the basement where uh, uh, Max Jenke likes to, I don't know if he derives his power from it or if he just uses it as like his gateway. Um, Which makes really no sense because he's electric. Like, yeah, but it's, <laughs> but instead of an electric furnace, it's just like an open bonfire in their fucking basement. 
uh, belching fire out belching from fire. the fucking for, for their, like, it seems to like be 1960s concerned. home they like just we just put an endless coal fire in your basement to keep <laughs> yeah, you, to keep you keep warm like, in California they, right next to it they have like racks of clothing and stuff I'm like good yeah. lord you got to get out of this house they do not seem concerned at all by You're the by the belching flames no <laughs> Anyways, they, they, they kill Max Jenke, and so we have this lovely scene at the end where it's all wrapping up. Turns out, uh, old man's son is alive, he's fine. The daughter, who we thought Max Jenke had, like, burst out of her vagina or something, she's fine. Uh, the wife is fine, everybody's fine. And then two profoundly, three really <laughs> profoundly fucked up things happen. <laughs> Thing number one, Lance Henriksen tells his daughter whose boyfriend in this movie was legitimately butchered in the basement of mm -hmm. his family home. He goes, hey, I want to make sure we didn't forget anything. Uh, honey, can you ju just, uh, you know, Bonnie, go back in and uh, uh, go check the basement. See if there's anything down there. You know, your boyfriend was dismembered. <laughs> so he sends her in. And then not only is she like fine with that, which I think is kind of weird. But she finds the family cat, who we are led to believe is murdered by Max Jenke in the opening. So the cat was just in a box in the basement for a, a month? An, un I, I an undisclosed amount of time, just Too happily hanging long. out in a box. Too fucking long to lose the cat, I can tell you that much. <laughs> and then the coup de grace here is fucking a, a, a van pulls up, a gray van, and a guy in a cowboy hat gets out, and... He's like, yes, uh, we, we saw that you found a thumb in your chili, so here's a five-year supply of Texas chili in a can. And then the mom's like, oh, Scott, and then just roll credits. That's I, the I end love the concept that, like, yeah. this, this Texas chili company, first, don't investigate anything when you say you're finding severed no. human parts in their food processing facilities. And then are also just, like, literally seem to just drive a truck up from Texas to, to send this kid free stuff to shut him up. And uh, Lance Henderson's fine with this. He's like, all right, we're, we're packed. We've got all our belongings packed. Oh, now I have to deal with a van load of chili <laughs> thanks to my degenerate son. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty yeah, great. But this movie, like, I don't have any idea how much time's passed. Like, this could be taking place over three days or a month. I have no fucking idea. It's feels like, like totally it takes nebulous. About, feels like it takes about three weeks to get through the 96 minutes or so that it, yes. that it actually transposes. Yeah, uh... And this this might be the highlight. I don't know. I still say maybe two because you know kids might like it. No one in, like if you're old enough to watch horror movies, any horror movie you want, you're not gonna watch fucking House Three. No one's no, ever gonna, gonna do that. Do I'm never watching this movie ever again. I don't have to. No, no. no. And the the other thing is, it's just so fucking. Again, this ending convention is is really insulting <laughs> in many ways to the horror viewer because it's like. I don't know. I, I realize that some of this movie was like hallucinatory, but once shit hits the fan, there needs to be consequences. Like we saw his children get killed by Max Jenke. That's the fact that they just waltz out fine as it is a day is long. You know, it's just like who fucking cares about what happened during this movie? Like nothing. What did happen during this movie? I have no fucking idea. It seems like a big fat load of nothing. Mm hmm. Yeah, basically. Uh, but hey, guess what? House 3, a.k.a. The Horror Show, uh, colossal commercial and critical failure. So what are we going to do? 
we're gonna make house for. What you do? Direct to video, baby. And this one is, well, it's a treat, let me tell you. Uh, directed by the great Louis Abernathy, uh, who I believe replaced the original director after like a week. Like they just brought his ass in, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, and this is good too, because it's got like 10,000 uh, like listed screenwriters and, and people who are rewriting things. And yet, not a single Alan Smithy among them, I don't think, but there is an Alan Smithy who wrote the third one, which yeah. is weird, because it's like, gold star, you wrote the most coherent house movie. Also, it feels like it has a us. distinct voice, too. The the stupid edgelord, like, every character is just like, fucking shit, goddamn, like the whole movie. Like, that feels mm -hmm. like it was written by some jackass, like, 25-year-old, but apparently, mm -hmm. yeah, Alan I think Smithy. The 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 grand summation I think of of House Three is that it's uh, written as credit to Alan Smithy, the person just you know denounced the project, but they misspelled his name in the credits because they couldn't even get that right. So <laughs> I think that yeah. sums up the franchise beautifully. No one wanted to be mm -hmm. associated with it, and they still couldn't actually do it correctly. So uh, House Four is seen as a return to form. Whatever fuck that. Who the means. fuck would <laughs> say this? We're just source this, this quote. Is, this is like, no, I, I feel like this is, you know, when like one critic says something and then everybody else repeats it. And I was trying to read up and just figure out like, how do we even get here? Like there shouldn't have been a house for, I don't care if it's direct to video. And a lot of the write-ups that I was reading is about the Arrow box set that came out a few years ago. And every single fucking review of this box set is like, oh, house four, a return to form. No. I mean, just because kind of. I mean, the, the I one and two suck shit. Three suck <laughs> shit in a slightly different way, and four returns to sucking shit, just like one it, and two it, did. So maybe exactly, exactly. And this one with its ten thousand screenwriters, it uh, it it does something really magical. Uh, it it really does feel like you're watching several different movies. Uh, it is at first a family drama. And then it shifts to what you think is a, is a horror movie with like the hallucination stuff that happens throughout the house series. A and then it gets into this weird like mafia comedy moment. And the only thing that I can think of is there, there's no coherent voice here. Like there, it's all over the place. But Jim Wynorski shines through because I guarantee when this was dropped in front of him and somebody said, punch this the fuck up. The only thing he added was that shower scene where the woman gets covered in blood <laughs> and you see her boobs with blood on them. Because Jim Wynorski has never in his life written a script without a woman taking a shower. Uh, so uh, th this is clearly his addition, right? Yeah, that uh, yeah, seems about yeah, right. Probably, probably, yeah, it's, it, I, in terms of like script, there's one scene in this movie, there, there's this whole, like... Essentially, the the same actor William Katz shows up back in this one. He was the, he was a protagonist the first one. He shows up in this one as presumably an entirely separate character who again inherits a house from his father, and he uh, he wants to keep it in the family. But his his stepbrother wants the house for nefarious Jack, purposes. Yeah, what? I I am here to tell you that uh -huh. William Cat plays the same character Roger Cobb in both the first movie and the this fourth. This the movie. same name. It it's is the same, the same uh, name. It's he not the same, same man. His, his hair has changed color. There's no, it's none of the other actors. <laughs> well, he's always a beautiful rescued. blonde boy, okay? 
he's the same guy. He just, you know what? <laughs> he he ditched his young son. He said, I don't love you anymore. You spent time in purgatory. Uh, he's His wife still wants nothing to do with him because he shotgunned her as a demon and stuffed her in a, in a staircase. And so now he gets, he gets married to a different woman and he has a kid. And wouldn't you know, he inherits another house. And what's wrong with that he, house? He has well, a- it's got spooky problems. Yeah, he's got a kid that would have had to have been born several years prior to the first movie. Uh, it's just been juggling two two houses, two inheritances, and two families, apparently. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he, he gets his house, and his stepbrother wants the house for obviously nefarious purposes. We later on find out he's like working with like the mafia or something, and they want to just, they want to buy the house so they can knock it over so they can like bury nuclear sludge there. Which <sighs> like, mm-hmm. okay, fair, like that's an episode it's of the like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Beethoven sequel or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it <laughs> makes no goddamn sense. And one of the mafia hoods is played by John Santucci, the amazing criminal advisor for Michael Mann's thief. This is what he got up to. There's little wonder the man returned to jewel thievery and ended up in prison again. Um, this, is like, this is what these movies would do. I probably prefer to go back to prison than be in House 5 anyway. But um, yeah, this this movie is just like, it's completely shapeless again. At one point, there's a scene where the brother-in-law goes back or the stepbrother goes back to his, his mafia hood. And the mafia hood is like this weird, like, short like guy with like bad prosthetics he's like deformed but he's like a little person and he is like a, a phlegmatic sucking mucus at him like he's fucking a dune villain or something it's it's complete nonsense it doesn't make any sense um but i that scene started and i just i watching it, i was just like oh, i don't give a shit so i started looking at my phone <laughs> i just started browsing twitter i had some problems and getting through this one as well <laughs> i i i was browsing twitter for a while, and I looked up, and they were still in the same room having this conversation. All the conversation was doing was clarifying that they wanted to bury nuclear waste or some shit in there. That's the only yeah. purpose of this scene. And I swear to God, it must have run on for seven or eight minutes. It's it's very fucking weird, and I don't know what they're they're trying to do. Like, there's it it gets real weird right around here because there's there's no real comedy up to this point. No. Um. And then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, we're in this goofy nuclear waste plant where people are like spray painting not above the nuclear waste sign on on giant. Yeah, it turns into a fucking, fucking trauma movie waste. somewhere in the middle, just like randomly. Yeah, yeah, and then and then they they go into this room to like, uh, you know, talk to the sludge boss that it's this fucking little guy with a like a phlegm sucker. It is it is fucking throat. It's. It's real. It's. I mean, real the only co- the only comedy in this, and the, the, like the only bits of this movie that are actually kind of funny, are towards the start, and they're like actually, I think, supposed to be dramatic beats. Where yeah. so, so essentially, like the the wife and her her family, they they all they're driving away, and they end in a car accident, and uh, uh, our man William Cobb or whatever the fuck his name is, apparently the same man from the first movie, gets burned burned guy. alive in the car, and he's on life support, and they have this great scene where they go to the hospital and. She, uh, the wife has to make the the heart wrenching decision to to cease life support, and they they introduce this by having her sign this page that just is an enormous like size seventy two font at the top, just like 
form to cut off life support because that's what you would yeah. call that form obviously it just tearfully signed it and then they like pull the plug and he dies and then she just decides you know and her daughter it was in the car when it crashed too and she's now in a wheelchair she's she's a paraplegic so of course she decides it would be great ideas to move her wheelchair bound daughter into a house where there's nothing but stairs everywhere <laughs> stairs to the front door and stairs down you know. from the front door <laughs> everywhere just, stairs instead of just going with a wheelchair the doctor recommended that they decided to use like grandma's wicker chair and just slap oh some wheels God. <laughs> it looks like it literally looks like fucking fdr's wheelchair like somebody <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah we, we couldn't get a we could afford a real wheelchair so we went to an abandoned 19th century polio ward and just fucking grabbed something uh yeah, I, and this is never addressed. No, it's never <laughs> talked about. She just she's just scooting around in this weird antique wheelchair. Also, until... where where is this house? Because I mean, they have a thrift. They have like a yard sale at one point, and people are coming out. But like, the house appears to exist on like a barren wasteland. I, mean, yeah. I guess it's in Texas, apparently. <laughs> Maybe like, like in fucking seventy two thousand like hectares or something. Like, there's nothing yeah. anywhere visible, <laughs> and yet it's no. like, here's my wheelchair bound daughter. Like, what is a school bus coming out? Like, nothing's here, and they're all like, oh, yeah. we'll just get by on our own. It's like, don't do this also, to your child. I gotta say, if I'm in the business of getting rid of nuclear waste, I don't know if that's the spot I go for. Like, there's gotta be somewhere else in the desert where you could just buy up some land and bury it. Yeah. Why is it gotta be under this house? Or just bury it sense. behind the house at night. They wouldn't know. They wouldn't know. Like, who, they wouldn't why know. do you need to knock the house down? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And what, is there a problem with knocking the house down? Like, this, this movie... I don't know what the plot of this movie is. Like, I, I have no concept. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, it's it's just like, no. why is she being haunted? Like, I mean, it's not like she's being haunted. The explanation that the Native American mystic in this movie, who is also like a, a priest for some fucking reason, again. <laughs> oh, he's a real didactic motherfucker. It's, it's, a, it's an alternate really... reality, man. The cultures emerged. <laughs> but, but here, he advises that this house must remain intact. Uh, and also he then says that she's being haunted because maybe her, her husband, uh, was killed and it must be him like reaching out or something. But why mm. would he be reaching out to his wife as like the uh, horrifying pizza or a, a, a <laughs> oh, blood because it shower? Was a double whammy. It was a double whammy because he's like, yeah, it's your dead husband, but also, uh, Native American spirits that are angry. It's a little Indian burial ground here. That's that. Yeah, but why are the Native American uh, spirits angry? I thought they were the happy because they weren't knocking down the, the house. No, the best fucking line in the whole movie is when he's like, "Yeah," and then the white man came and they took everything yes, in the name of progress. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I thought this was a, a peaceful place, and in fact, when they do knock down the house, they actually just knocked down the house. That's the climax yeah, of this do. movie. The house is destroyed. It seems like a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, there is a La Casa throwback, though, because uh, the the evil brother-in-law who's working for the Sludge Baron, he, uh, he lights the house on fire. And uh, what's the best part of the La Casa series? You know it's the cum lake beneath the basement floor. And cum lake makes it fucking yes, come back. This, this is the only time <laughs> you will actually see a, a house literally cum. Yeah, you know. 
Yeah, I feel <laughs> like we, we, that should have been the tagline. A healing yeah. load. You, you, you won't believe a house could come. <laughs> yeah, maybe Jim Wynorski wrote that scene too. I, I'm not sure. It's, it's worth it's, worth mentioning. It's a three and four were actually released as La Casa films in Italy, right? Like, yeah, of, that's La Casa so, so five like, and six. Yeah, yeah. So you had this weird mixing of franchise, and three was not a house film in the U.S., but then was released as a house film abroad. So this friend, like all this shit, just barely hangs together, and mm-hmm. you just don't need to watch any of these, man. We've strayed so far from God's light. Yeah, don't do it. Well, uh, anyway, I, I do have one question. Yeah. Though. So, uh, it, it, the inevitable happens towards the end of this movie, and this movie is great too because it just fucks around for like. 90 we should minutes. we should call out pizza scene. I mean, that's that's a big <laughs> well, this one. Is, guys. We, this we is do. why it was so big in Italy. I think. Probably. Yeah, that. I mean, that makes the most sense. There is a scene where, uh, apropos of nothing, I think, like, the daughter, the younger daughter, like, orders a pizza. Yeah. And then the pizza shows up, and the pizza man, upon, you know, arriving at the house, they open the door, and he sings, like, a whole song. Yeah. I, swear they do, I swear they don't even open the door. I swear to God, he's just in their hall when they show <laughs> yeah, up somehow already. Well, things are different in but the country, then, Jack. <laughs> after he does his song and gives them the pizza, they're in the kitchen, and the mom is like preparing to serve her daughter the pizza, and her daughter sings the whole fucking song again. Yes. And then, uh, the, the, again, this is like the only high point of the film. <laughs> After the song is sang for a second time, it's very catchy. Then, oh no, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, spooky guy doing a prank, this prank ghost has possessed the pizza pie <laughs> and starts singing the song and then the mom pizza opens it up. Bad. Yeah, and then she sees the pizza man face in the pizza pie and then she gets in a fight with the pizza. Yeah. Literally pizza the hot cameo, effectively. But why this is important, I mean, that happens and it's lovely, but this movie just spinning its fucking wheels forever. And, you know, despite having a blood shower uh, the, the mom is like, no, we're not leaving because my husband liked this house, which they keep referring to like, it's falling apart. It's like, I think you guys just got to dust a little. It's yeah. okay. Uh, but it's it, spinning the wheels, spinning the wheels. All this ghost spooky shit is happening. She's not leaving. She's not selling the Laurel and Hardy fucking spaghetti boys show up to do like mob shit. All of this is happening, but, but you're not, it's not moving towards anything. Like, it, yeah. it is absolutely spinning its fucking wheels over and over and over again to the point where I'm like, how much longer can this possibly be? Like, where are we going? And there's like eight minutes left. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? How does this even fucking end? And a couple of amazing things happen. First of all, uh, FDR polio girl, who is, you know, she's originally uh, she's paralyzed in the car accident that kills her father. Uh, her big, dumb 19th century wheelchair breaks. And then she just has a normal wheelchair for the rest of the movie. And it's like, why, how did you get that one? Why didn't you get that one sooner? What the fuck is going on? And then there's the, the, the house catches on fire and the basement blows its big cummy load. It does a big cum shot to stop the fire. And the way this ends, and I don't know, I, I tried to watch this very attentively and I'm still not sure how this concludes exactly. At some point, the daughter is no longer paralyzed. Yeah. Like, she could just stand the fuck up. Yeah, the ghosts. They healed her. 
Okay, so it was yeah. a ghost healing. Yeah, the, the, the healing. water that was sealed beneath the, the mystic Indian seal the big, was uh, the big yeah. cum was actually you know, healing. You know how people in wheelchairs make us feel sad and depressed, so, you know, it's just no, yeah. it's always nice to fix them along the way. That makes sense. That yeah. Which, okay. again, the well, ghosts, yeah. uh, they were terrorizing them with the pizza man and whatnot, but now they're also, they're cool, I guess. Yeah. You know, in the they're area. like, <laughs> you know what, that was, we took those pranks a little too far. <laughs> We're gonna Let's heal. Bust a fat nut on this paralyzed girl. <laughs> We're gonna heal her legs. It'll be fine. So after that, because again, this is the house franchise, which means we have to have an ending where everything is fine. So another real humdinger, trying to one up part three. Uh, we've got the double whammy of it turns out the maid was an FBI agent the entire time. Yeah. And so the brother-in-law is arrested for doing arson and, like, sludge crimes, I guess. Well, he also killed his brother. Like, he caused the car accident to kill him. Yeah, he, he did, yeah. As, as revealed in, in a ghost flashback, sure. And then, the most amazing thing I have ever seen in my entire life happens, which is uh, our, our hero, Roger Cobb, is like, he appears as a cop? And for a second, you think like, oh, maybe he's in cahoots with the FBI to catch his brother-in-law. And he like, they like faked his death. And despite showing him as like a fucking crispy piece of burnt cheese stuck to the bottom of your oven. And no, it's, it's way better than that. That's the logical stupid answer. What actually happens is he is a, a ghost, a, a specter that is appearing as one of the police on the scene. And then he fucking shoots up into the sky as like a little ball of light and he turns into a star. And then the movie just ends. And that's the end of the house franchise. You got you gotta think when we were scaling like how bad these movies are, and we realized like house one made money, so fair enough. So you try house two. House two didn't. So you think, okay, maybe we should stop. But no, made house three for some reason. House three also didn't make money. Some reason we're like, yeah, let's let's just stick with this one more time. I don't know why they're so keen that this is going to be a whole thing. And there is no House Five. House Four was finally the final step that we're like, no, we've got to stop doing this, guys. Like this is this is mad. to take it this far. Well, I mean, it yeah. says something that Corman got off the train pretty fucking early in the franchise. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I had enough of this shit. Yeah, yeah. When what's Roger Corman fails on, he probably got some problems. Uh, but yeah, I, that's the house franchise. I would recommend not being curious. The best thing about them are the, the titles and the posters, for the most part. Oh, there's Although, one good thing, too. Three. The William Cat uh, in the first film, when he meets Norm, this fucking sweater he's wearing with the scoop neck. Oh, man. Oh, it's, it's, just, it's uh, some I'm, prime shit right there. It's I was good like, shit. oh, man. Is Who, yeah, shit. that oh. is just incredible. Yeah, it's, it's basically like a, a deep V neck, like deep, like, deep like, V neck. Like fucking thing. past his belly button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is, it is he, a deeply erotic, like, wide knit sweater. Yeah. Yeah. I would say. It's actually a pretty incredible piece of wardrobe right there. And he's wear, wearing that with nothing underneath, of course, while he's talking to Norm for the first time. Which I so mm -hmm. I think we could all agree that that right there that scene is the highlight of the entire house. <laughs> that's the highlight yeah. of the movie. Yep, that's that's as far as you need to go. Uh, well, we should probably wrap things up. So, uh, Jack, what are you putting over this week? That's that's a great question. Uh, I'm not putting over any house movies because uh, I think that would be a terrible idea based on the research that we've done. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to put over another failing marriage movie. I'm going to put over Frank Perry's Diary of a Mad Housewife from 1970, uh, which is a, a good movie. It's kind of like a black comedy about a, a housewife who has just a terrible time because her husband is chaotically awful and her children are awful and she just wants to have an affair with an incredibly young Frank Langella. I think it's his first role and it's kind of never occurred to me that Frank Langella was like a hottie back in the day, Ooh. but he, he absolutely was. He's, he's a smoke show. And uh, so she hooks up with him and, uh, but he's awful as well. And it just turns out everything's awful. And it's, it's got some very, very funny lines and it's, it's a pretty entertaining movie full of like just wild kind of 1970s stuff. So yeah, Diary of a Mad Housewife. I, I enjoyed that and uh, it absolutely shits on any of these movies. It's scarier than any of them. It's funnier than any of them. It's uh yeah, and it's not a horror. So low bar. Low yeah, bar. Very low bar to be fair. It's actually good just generally. Myros, what are you putting over? God, all I watched this week were house movies. Uh, <laughs> what's a what's I'm a good sorry. haunted house movie? The Changeling. Sure, watch the changeling. That's, a lot <laughs> that's, got, a, that's got an old timey wheelchair in it too. Yeah, that's got an old timey wheelchair, and it actually doesn't suck. So, uh, sure, check that no. out. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. There you go. Get a little fucking patent in there. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Watch the changeling. You want to watch house? Watch the changeling. You want to watch house two? Changeling three. Changeling four. Changeling twice. Uh, yeah. So this week, I was thinking. You know, we we started off. We were talking about Eurovision, and then. Uh, I, I was, we were talking about how, you know, there, there used to be real stars, real, real people that inspired me, uh, coming out of American Idol and the like, uh, years and years ago, 20 years ago. And let us not forget the magic of William Hung, which I think many people have, have forgotten at this point. And I learned this past weekend, we were spending some time with a frequent contributor to Optimism Vaccine in front of the show, Stephen Coleman. And he told us that he likes to play on, on internet jukeboxes. And uh, apparently this is available on, there's like three main um, like companies that do the, the online jukeboxes. Uh, Touch Tunes is one of them. There's a couple other ones. And this is on all of them. It's the William Hung album, Inspiration. And on the album, Inspiration, by William Hung, he does a cover of R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly. And I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast to play that in a bar because it's kind of a double whammy, you know, because people think that you're playing R. Kelly and they're like, what? And then it's actually William Hung and then they don't know how to react to that. So uh, it's got a lot of layers to it. Highly recommend playing William Hung's uh, I Believe I Can Fly on a jukebox. And that's that's my put over. For oh, yeah. I forgot we watched Lightning Strikes twice. That, you could put that oh, over as well. Yeah, Doug Phillips. It's put a up, bonus yeah, put, put over. over. Watch Doug Phillips' Lightning Strikes twice, even though we probably have one of ten copies that exist in the world and you'll never find it to watch it. Yeah, he he uh, he stopped selling DVDs on uh, on Amazon. He doesn't do it anymore. It's a damn shame. Bad. That is a damn shame. But yeah, if you can track it down, Doug Phillips' Lightning Strikes twice. You want to watch a guy in a wig like sing weird songs and do skits? Great. Really upsetting. I, Jack, I'd love to show it to you. Next time you and your <laughs> lovely wife come to visit, I'll make her sit on a couch and fucking watch it. Somehow, right. Doug Phillips was able to source a more realistic wheelchair for lightning strikes twice than they were able to. For Unbelievable. Housework. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, no one thought it could happen, but it, it somehow did. Uh, yeah, no, that was good. Uh, not only did, did Stephen Coleman introduce us all to William Hung's I Believe I Can Fly, but also 
since he was the only person we were with this past weekend who had seen the whale, we all got drunk and then just made us, it made him tell us about the whale for like an hour. <laughs> Apparently there's a part where, where the whale orders two pizzas and then he puts like, like fucking mayonnaise and jam between the two yeah, pizzas. Potentially whipped cream. Together. <laughs> potentially whipped cream, some sort of substance. It's like a binding agent, so you can double stuff the fucking pizzas into his mouth. Yeah. I think it sounds great. I, yeah, if you would have uh, at the end, if you would have asked me I would not have had money on uh, the whale floats to heaven, I gotta say. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, the whale you know. does float to heaven at the end. No, you, you see, because the Oscar Green book kind of showed us, you know, pizza eating, novel pizza consumption elements are apparently a hit with the jury. So, um, I see, I can see what Darren Aronofsky was trying to do, but it didn't work out for him. I mean, it worked out for yeah. Brendan Fraser, but not the picture didn't win. I mean, I'm probably not going to see the movie, but the more I hear about it, it just sounds like a long form version of the Monty Python meaning a life sketch where the guy like vomits into a bucket and then explodes. The only difference is, is like, I don't know, he vomits on his coffee table and fucking floats to heaven. Also, so it's utterly humorless. <laughs> well, I mean, in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, fair To enough. be fair, Aronofsky's <laughs> whole career is basically kind of a joke, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve and I were, were discussing that over the weekend, that maybe it's best to, if you, like, went to revisit any of his films to look at it through, like, a comedic lens, and you'd probably get a lot more out of it. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, like, yeah, Requiem for a Dream, uh, Mother, probably both knee slappers. Yeah, yeah, I think I so. Tell. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the Whale, don't, don't watch it, but maybe have somebody tell you about it. That's, that's fun. Other than that, hey, if you listen to this podcast, do us a big favor. You can donate to our Patreon. Why would you do that? And the answer is, uh, podcasting's expensive. We don't have any money. We're a bunch of dumb idiots, and podcasting is expensive. And, uh, yeah, but we're going to give you stuff. Don't worry. If you donate to our Patreon at any level, I will, and you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. You will get something. It probably won't even suck. It, it, yeah, it could be something good. I got some good shit. I got a box full of some shit. Some of it's really good. You could get something cool. Uh, on top of that, if you donate at a higher level, um, not only do you get your, your free fucking movie and you get all that written and recorded Optimism Vaccine exclusive Patreon content, uh, but you also get the ability to uh, vote in polls uh, for future episodes, and you get your name right out on the air. So, uh, Myros, who do we got? Uh, we have CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. God bless them all. God bless them all. Now, if you want to as well, uh, 20, we have a $25 tier, and for that, you get all the shit, but you also get to dictate a whole episode. Um, Obviously, we would love if you could be a reoccurring $25 donor. If you cannot, because that is a big ask. Uh, if you want to, if there's something you really want us to cover, you just want to throw us 25 fucking bucks, we'll do it no matter what, be anything. Maybe we actually will watch The Whale. Myros keeps clamoring for it. He wants it. He wants it badly. I really don't, uh, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what you were saying before we started recording. God. Yeah, that's fine. Adam the Whale this, the uh, Whale that. Yeah, now... Of course, if, if you don't want to give us $25 so we have to do an episode, you can also do what some people have done, which is uh, send us a convincing enough email and we'll consider it. <laughs> so you, you can always try that. And you can email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. We would love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. So I'm, I'm hoping... 
Uh, oh, I was going to say, Steve, uh, one f- quick Patreon note is that we did also actually put out that Evil Dead episode we promised. You know, it's it's there if you haven't heard it yet. It's there. So, yeah, that's it's one more benefit. You can hear our thoughts on uh, new Evil Dead business. And I, yep, I, and I promise I'm going to hold us to uh, recording another one, too, because we're bringing back our old friend Jeff Fahey next week. And uh, we, we kind of forgot about doing the episode on Expect No Mercy. Uh, we're doing it. We're going to do it. So w- there will be another bonus episode coming very soon. Coming real soon. We're doing it. All the Fahey you can handle. Well, this isn't a Fahey. Yeah. It is Billy Blanks uh, yeah. and Jalal Mary, but it is uh, back to VR land. Yeah. Well, Fahey's, co- Fahey's coming back next week. I, well, I feel like Adam's got a little thing for Mr. Fahey. Yeah, I mean, he does have beautiful eyes and beautiful hair. Uh, he's he's a good-looking dude, but you know, I mean, Adam, you don't open up like this as often, you know. Mm-hmm. Man is a beefcake, Jack. We just appreciate that here <laughs> on Optimism Vaccine. Yeah, true. I, a lot of people say that we're too negative, but one thing we're not negative about is beefcakes. Very pro beefcake yeah. on this podcast. So, uh, yeah, I think that's everything. And shit, we're gonna have to have we're gonna have to talk to producer Colin. We got to figure out a way for him to edit the pizza song as our outro. So, uh, yeah, pizza song. <laughs> I'm your pizza man, I'm your pizza man, and I'm delivering your favorite pizza pie. I'm your pizza man, I'm your pizza man, and I am everybody's favorite takeout guy. You never have to worry that your pizza will be cold, cause I keep it heated up on my engine's manifold. (laughs) So the next time you are hungry for a pizza in a pan, (laughs) don't forget to call your favorite pizza man. (sighs) 12.50 please. That should really up our Italian listenership. Yeah.